Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. The NICU is definitely a place filled with uncertainty and, as our next guest calls it, fog, blindsiding us and holding us back from moving forward. Brenda Reynolds is a sought-after organization and leadership consultant, coach, TEDx speaker, author, and fellow NICU parent. She is here to share her family's personal journey and to give us tools to help navigate through uncertain times. Welcome, Brenda. Really happy to have you here with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your NICU journey and how it helped to bring you to where you are today. Looking forward to our conversation. Interesting, Martha. I consider myself a change and transition expert, if you will. And when people say, how did you, how is it you could coin yourself as such? I think we all are because we're all experts in change and transition and it's, my my preemie and NICU experience is just one of the things that groomed me for, for that. Uh, I have two sons. My oldest is Tyler. My youngest is Jason. Both of them were premature. And my second guy, Jason, took me on a little bit more of an adventure than the first one. The first one warmed me up. The second one really unleashed this uncertainty on me when we were getting ready to go out of town to a picnic quite a distance away. And I had one final appointment with my OBGYN before we left town. And that appointment ended with, go straight to the hospital. Uh, You are in labor, to which I could not even fathom that was the case. And ended up in the NICU, or not in the NICU, in the uh, emergency room. And with a neonatologist sitting in my ear, Mm -hmm. really to the left of me, in my ear, literally, saying there are three things we can do to try to stop this labor. And we're on the second moving into the third right now. And it may or may not work. And if not, this was at 29 weeks. Um, Here is what you could be facing. And fortunately, we were able to stop my labor that day. But I had to stay in the hospital, which was about an hour or so from home, and hang out there until the duration of the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Didn't know how long I was going to be there and ended up being on bed rest for 33 days where I could stand up five minutes a day, long enough to take a shower. And that was it. My connection to the outside world was one tree Mm -hmm. I could see out my window because it was August. And I hung out there for 33 days and Jason still came six weeks early. And there was a lot of adventure in between. He ended up in the NIC unit because he had apnea, and so they had to put him on an apnea monitor, and we were also looking at making sure his lung development was healthy, and uh, there was a lot going on in the backdrop of my life aside from trying not to give birth to this baby too soon, Mm -hmm. and that was just one element of it. So it was one of the most uncertain times and also a great learning opportunity for me about how do you navigate that? 
Well, I definitely want to talk about uncertainty, but I have to go back because we so often talk as NICU parents about how the experience always stays with you. And you move past the NICU and you go through new chapters in life, but that NICU experience, and now how how old are your sons now? 28 and 22. And think about how vividly you still remember that entire experience, right? Well, I was saying my 22-year-old's getting ready to graduate from undergraduate college, University of Richmond. And last night I was going through pictures for a senior presentation they're putting together. And I could not believe, could not believe in the piles of pictures I have that what I got my hands on was a picture of those days. And this was my, you know, my home away from home. This was my preemie, although he was six weeks early. Mm -hmm. He was six pounds, six ounces. And this is him today. Wow. He's a Division I lacrosse player at the University of Richmond and heading to Notre Dame to play next year during his graduate year. Oh, that's great. And so it's a journey. It is a journey. And all of those words that the neonatologist shared, I, I actually was just speaking with one of our neonatologists this week, and she said, you just never know what the outcomes are going to be. And when you see those pictures that you showed us, when we share about our own personal story and, and our daughter is is 10, our surviving twin, but when you when you think about uh, all that you're told and you don't know what that future is going to look like, and that really does bring you back to mm. uncertainty. And what is it about uncertainty and what can you share with us about uncertainty that really shakes us up? I can so get back to that very moment. I mean, really, one of my clearest memories is of that neonatologist in my ear saying, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. The uncertainty is because we we feel vulnerable. We we realize we don't have control. You know, many of us go in with this birth plan and we we know who our doctors are and we have an idea of how it's gonna go. And it's your for me, it was my second child. So it's like, oh, I've got this. You know, I've even gone through the premature birth thing before. We've got this. And in the end, I had a four-doctor practice that was working with me. The weekend I gave birth, none of the four was available. I had a completely strange doctor Mm. who came in and did the delivery. She was phenomenal, but it freaked me out. I had doctors who were continuing to tell me that I was not in labor. They had stopped it, and I was not giving birth that day, to which I said, yes, I am. I dare you to check. And we did. Mm -hmm. But I think it's that vulnerability of not knowing what's coming and feeling no control over it whatsoever. That that is so true. I mean, I'm I'm going back to our personal experience, and we were told on day three our daughter had grades three and four brain bleeds and might not be able to walk or talk or what her future would look like. And I remember for so long not sure if the movements she was making were reflex movements or if she was actually reaching for toys or what mm. she was doing. And now she's ten and she's doing. Great, but that uncertainty lived with us. And I remember Paul and I used to say, we're, we're not going to jump ahead. We're taking this one day at a time. But I know in, in what you focus on, and I'm so excited to learn more about this, but you've really coined the term of transition fog. And I, I know that you did a TEDx topic on this. Can you tell us what transition fog is and where did this whole concept come from? It's a term I made up And it came from several periods in my life where I felt like I couldn't see the path forward. 
I think my experience with the NICU and those days where not only was I trying not to have a baby, we were, I had a, my older son was getting ready to go to kindergarten and I was away from him for that entire month. I really wanted to put him on the bus to go to kindergarten. Wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that. I had, we were selling our home. The sale of the house fell through ultimately. After we had already put down a huge deposit on our dream home we were building, I never saw our home being built. Uh, My husband lost his job. I mean, all of that was happening in that Mm 33-day window. And I was helplessly sitting in a bed in the hospital, not not knowing how any of this was going to turn out. Talk about uncertainty. Yeah. Like what about our jobs and our income? By the way, I was a consultant even then. So I was running my business from the hospital bed and the nurses at the station were my admins, really. (laughs) They were taking faxes and running them in. And I I landed AOL as a client from the bed that year. But my client was having a heart attack because every time I was on the phone with him, I'd go into labor and they'd have to rush in and everything had to get put under control again. And uh, we still laugh about that. But It was a really foggy time. And then flash forward many, many years later, I was in the midst of a divorce and that came at me unexpectedly. And I have a very vivid moment of sitting with my face in my hands and not being able to think about how how does this look? I, I thought that period when I was having Jason, I remember saying, if I can do this, I can do anything. And then when the divorce came along, I realized I was back in that foggy place where I couldn't imagine a month from now, let alone a year from now, let alone what my future could look like. So it was like a big fog mm-hmm. rolled in over my perfect life plan again. And, you know, as Woody Allen says, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Right, right. What What's so important about what you're saying, though, to me is, yes, we have a NICU experience, right? And that just rocks our world. You you have a baby in the NICU. It's not expected in a lot of cases. It's not where you want to be or anticipate being and spending an extended period of time. But then add in life, jobs, living mm-hmm. situations, si- siblings, ki- older kids at home, all of the different mm-hmm. chunks of life that are added on top of having a baby in the NICU. Exactly. Right. And how do you, so when you work with, with people and talk with them and help them through this transition fob, what are some tips that you give to them to help them through that transition fob? First of all, I normalize it, right? The fog comes from two things. It comes from our not knowing what's next. And then all the emotions, the not knowing stirs up the anxiety, the worry, the fear that just overtakes us. I mean, that's why we really can't see too far forward. So it has to do with the psychology of what happens to us. And much like you referenced earlier, for me anyway, and to this day when I'm in fog, it's about turning on our low beams. So, So in my TEDx on navigating transition fog, I really make a metaphor out of the fog because it's like traveling on a foggy country road and you want to turn your high beams on so badly because you, there's some part of us that thinks it's going to help us see better and help us get there faster. I don't know what you're talking about, Brenda. <laughs> I've never done that on a foggy... Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I think it's going to work. I yeah. think it's going to work. And it doesn't work. It doesn't. So, I mean, whether it's, you know, whether you were the, the parent sitting in the NICU desperately wanting a crystal ball to be able to see into your future and wonder what's going to come, become of your child— you know, or me, I just have this memory of sitting in that bed every day. And my, I wanted to know what was going to happen, and I couldn't. So it was about turning my low beams on and focusing on what was right in front of me. Because our low beams illuminate about 350 feet in front of us, and that's as far as they, they shed light. But somehow we get from our destiny, one destination to the next, one stretch at a time, low beam-wise. And so I did a couple of things. I had a book on my nightstand in the hospital that talked about what was happening developmentally to my baby every day. I I counted down every hour because it wasn't even, can I get through this day and keep him in utero? It was, can I get through the next hour? Every hour was a huge success. So to stay that present and even celebrate things hour by hour is just one of those things. And then focusing on what I could control and what I could not control. Mm-hmm. I could try to run my business to the best of my ability. I could tell my husband not to bring my older son in every day because it was too much of a burden on him. I could make sure I had friends coming to visit on certain days of the week to give me something to look forward to. So so what can you control and what can't you control? When we get really, really anxious, it's a sign that we're too far into the future. We're trying to think too far ahead. We're trying to put our high beams on. Mm-hmm. And that's where the anxiety comes from. So pulling it in and saying, right here, right now, you know, what is it I can do? And I love what you just said about celebrating every hour. And we talk a lot about that at Today's a Good Day with families about celebrating each and every milestone, that those milestones eventually may be graduation from the NICU, but today it might be the baby came off of the ventilator, Mm -hmm. right? Or took an extra ounce of breast milk in the feeding and celebrating each and every one of those little milestones that are right in front of you Mm -hmm. is so important. That ties back to that. And I think you did this too, Martha, but the journaling for me was critical. Yes. I journaled and I, I really had myself at the end of every day write down five things I was extremely happy about. And some days were a big stretch. I mean, in all honesty, it w- it got down to I had a bowel movement. Mm-hmm. And that was like a huge thing to celebrate. Yes. And on bed rest for that On long, bed yeah. rest, there's really not a whole lot going on. Right. And so you have to dig really deep. But, the, but forcing myself to do that each day made a huge difference, too, in the fog. Did you use that journal to also write down questions for the medical staff or things that came into your mind? And did you find that to be helpful? Totally. Because I learned every time a new doctor came in, they, they, I mean, I would, to this day, I can say sub-Q breathing, three sub-Q breathing shots right here, and I'll be good. <laughs> then the labor stops because they often didn't know. And I would tell them what to do to me. And right. I knew what was going to work for me. And uh, because there was a lot of people coming and going, I always wanted to take notes. So journaling really helped you to empower yourself to be in charge of your care and to work in partnership with the hospital team and, and make you last longer on bed rest. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's great. So when we talk about navigating through the transition fog and the tips that you were giving to us, turning on the low beams, I'm always going to remember that. That is is such a good point. And 
love what you said about anxiety really comes in when you look too far in the future. Mm -hmm. That is so true. Thinking about personal situations and how I can control something in the future, that is when that anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, comes into play. But what are some of the common pitfalls that you see? I call them potholes, ah. you know, because we've got to stick with the Love analogy. Me, we got it. We got to stick with it. Love it. The potholes. Well, one one that I've been reflecting on recently is how out of place I felt in the NICU because Jason was born six pounds six ounces, and that was six weeks early. Mm-hmm. The nurses teased me because I'm all of five feet tall. You know what would have happened had I right. gone full term? Yeah. But being in there, I didn't feel like I belonged. Mm -hmm. And next to Jason was a two-pound little girl. And her parents couldn't come in every day because she had a long journey there, and they worked. And there was a lot of guilt with that. And, you know, it's called comparative grief, where we want to compare our grief to somebody else's. And we feel like we aren't entitled to grieve my baby's simply having X issues, and this one's having bigger issues or a longer journey in the NIC unit. And yet I heard an interview with a grief specialist recently, and someone said, what's the heaviest grief to carry? And he said, whichever one you are having to carry. Mm -hmm. There is no bigger or worse. It's just different. Different. But I think the pitfall of comparing ourselves to others when we're going through a foggy time, and sometimes it's that everybody else seems to know better, be more on top of things, have an easier time of it, whatever that may be, is a big pitfall because we're seeing one aspect of who and how their journey is going, but we're not seeing the whole journey. So that is one of the biggest ones. The other one I would say is the negative Mm self-talk. And that just, you know, we talk to ourselves worse than we would ever talk to a friend of ours. You know, we talk about what we should do and what's not, you know, maybe we're having trouble breastfeeding and then the negative voice gets triggered or I'm home trying to get my son off to kindergarten, but I'm feeling guilty that I'm not in the NIC unit. And then when I'm in the NIC unit, I'm guilty because I've spent 33 days away from my older son and he misses me. And, you know, that controlling that negative self-talk is just another pothole we need to be mindful of. Do you have any tips for controlling that negative side, that self-talk? It's trying to help us. Mm -hmm. So don't hate it. It's trying to protect us. And yet we sometimes have to, we can't really make it go away, but we can turn the volume down on it or talk to it. I mean, I do this little bit of a, okay, I know you're trying to protect me. Now go away. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't need you today. Like we're good. And as, as woo woo as that may sound, you know, that voice doesn't really go away, but we have to convert it to, to stop shooting all over us and, I had a practice years ago where I noticed going through the day, it's easy to track everything we didn't do, what we still have yet to do, what we should have done differently. And that is depressing. And I began to say, wait a minute, I know today was a good day, to use your motto. Mm -hmm. Let me retrace my day and think about all of the things that represent progress, everything that's going my way, everything I have to be grateful for. And honestly, by the end of that talk with ourselves, you end up saying, damn, I am good. Mm -hmm. This really was a good day. 
And so sort of converting that tendency in our Western culture to go to problem solving and looking at the negatives to really looking at the progress we're making. Well, and that's where the journaling comes into play again, just throughout life, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a minute to write down what you're grateful for, something good that happened today. We do that with our daughters around the dinner table at night and go around the table to say some things that we're grateful for. And it's been a really fun practice for us to do as a family, just to remember those positive moments of the day. And to allow ourselves to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. I really feel the need to say that because I'm going to sound like rose-colored glasses otherwise. There are just days that are going to stink. And to let ourselves feel all of that because we need to feel it for that to move through us or we get stuck in it or we tamp it down. And then we start, you know, we think about people who then start having mental health issues and depression or overriding anxiety. And and so we really have to not beat ourselves up if we just have a bad moment and Mm -hmm. we have a bad day because there will be those scary times and those days where we just can't hold back the floodgate. Absolutely, absolutely. Going back to that idea of fog, we all know what fog is when we see it driving down the road, you know, all of that. But you actually use the word fog as an acronym. Mm -hmm. Will you tell us what it stands for? I will. It's It ends up being a freaking opportunity for growth. <laughs> and we don't look to have it, but, and we don't see it in the moment. You know, nobody's sitting in a NIC unit with looking at their baby in the isolate and thinking, gee, this is a great opportunity for growth. Right. But when it's in the rear view mirror, no matter the outcome, and, and I really look at what you've been able to do with your organization, Martha, If you hadn't had the experience you had, you would not be in a position to do what you're doing, to make the difference to all of the people that you're making a difference to. I would probably have one less experience of empathy, one less story to share, to be able to meet people with when they're going through their uncertain times. And so I talk about those moments as now what moments. And I believe that behind every now what is a why not ready to be unleashed, whatever that may be. Why not make this my cause? Why not volunteer and visit these people who have long stays in the hospital? You know, why not find a way to support others? Why not make a contribution somehow? But I do believe those those now what's can become opportunities for growth, freaking opportunities for growth, but opportunities for growth. It's a really good way to look at it. I mean, I, I would say with all of the incredible volunteers who work with today is a good day. Those are all individuals who went through the NICU experience and said, I'm going to find a way to give back and help someone else so they know that they are not alone. And I feel very blessed to know so many wonderful NICU families who have contributed their time and their stories to help others. And also so many friends and and family members who aren't necessarily tied to the NICU directly, mm-hmm. but donate their time because they see the importance of it, who they, they have someone that they know who has navigated through it and they want to be able to give back and, and figure out a way to help others. But like that freaking opportunity for growth. Freaking opportunity for it's growth. Good. We have a lot of good takeaways today, Brenda. I'm very <laughs> excited. So we have another one in your book. And tell us the name of your book. Well, you'll love this. The book is called TBD, 
Ah, to yes. be determined, you know, right? These moments of fog are, are moments where we don't know what's coming and it's yet to be determined. So it's about leading with clarity and confidence in uncertain times. And what is that TBD mindset? How do we, how do we have that? Talk to us about that a little bit. It's chapter nine. There, okay. there are 10 elements to it, but I'll just give you a small taste of it. You know, one of those we've already talked about, which is the importance of feeling and dealing and being able to allow ourselves to have the emotions we need to have in that moment. Another one is to give ourselves what we most need. And this is a question I would invite parents to ask themselves each step of the journey when they wake up each day. What do I most need and want today? And then find a way to give it to yourself or get it, whether it's rest, whether it's answers to some questions you may have, whether it's help and support with something. I think we can be afraid to really give ourselves what we need but we stand around and wait for someone else to know that we need it or figure it out for us. And that's not going to happen. And so that that's one of the other ones. And, and the one that was especially important to me too was the importance of forming a dream team. Who are those five people that you can be 100% authentic with? Mm-hmm. Good times, bad times, the stuff you fear telling anybody, the fears you're afraid to express. But I equate that to who are the passengers in your car going to be on a foggy road? And you want to have certain kinds of folks in that car when you're going on that terrible journey. And whether it's, I had a good friend, dear, one of my dearest friends still, Teresa, who had two children. She herself had been in the hospital and lost a child. She delivered it to full term um, and, and that baby did not survive went on to have two other children. And I still have this image of her walking into my room every Tuesday with one child on her shoulder and the other in a stroller. And they would always stop at Baskin Robbins on their way to the hospital. And they would carry in ice cream for me. And her youngest son would sit on the bed and hug my belly and talk to Jason and say, Aunt Brenda, here's the flavor we brought you this week. And that is the memory I have of what I looked forward to as much as anything was having a friend like that on my dream team who would pack up her two little kids and then actually stop at an ice cream shop Mm -hmm. and come religiously to see me every Tuesday. And for NICU families, it may be a best friend, uh, a mom, a dad, parents, family members. Mm -hmm. It also may be members of the medical team. Oh, for sure. Someone that you feel comfortable with to ask questions and talk to about your baby and you feel as though they are helping you to understand with language that makes sense and Mm -hmm. walking you through what's going on with your baby. So I think thinking outside the box a little bit and just making sure who that dream team is could include a lot of different people, for sure. You're triggering something important uh, that I'd like to share if you don't mind. It's, It's a story of There was one day that I was having a particularly bad day in the hospital, and there was a nurse who worked that weekend shift. I called her Battle Axe Betsy. She was was kind of crotchety, and and she was brusque, and uh, she was working that day. And there had been a 2020 news show on about babies getting switched and going home with wrong families at the time. And I, I was an emotional, hormonal mess, and I had a meltdown. And Betsy walked in and said, well, it's about time you cry. You know, I haven't seen you have your breakdown yet. And uh, 
she sat next to me and said, what's going on? And I said, well, first of all, can you promise me I'll get the right child? Now, I'm a little concerned because he doesn't look like any of us and no one really claims Jason, but I don't know. I assume he's ours. He's a keeper no matter what. And she said, what else are you crying about? And I think parents may relate to this. When you have a scary NICU or preemie experience, there's a part of me that was saying, I'm not doing this again. You know, whatever is, is. I can't chance this again. And I knew I had two boys, but I also was letting go of the dream that I was going to have a daughter someday. And she looked at me and honestly, Martha, she could have been making this up. I've never checked it out because I don't want to know. She looked at me and said, you've got two boys, right? And I said, yep. She said, don't you know, once you have two of the same sex children, your odds of having a third boy are about 98%. Did you want three boys? And I was like, no. She said, okay. Cheered me up and I never looked back again. But in that moment, that's just what I needed. Mm-hmm. And it comes from unexpected places sometimes. It definitely does. Now, we've talked a lot about the NICU experience and taking your strategies, transition fog, getting through that, the tips for journaling and, and putting on the low beams, relating that back to the NICU experience specifically. But that also, those those tactics can be used in life. Uh-huh. Do they ever? <laughs> can you talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, how we use those in just general life situations all the time. I mean, I, like I said, I used all of these to navigate my own divorce scenario. And it was at that time when I thought, gee, I'm really glad I've had certain life experiences and training and, and educational background that I had some skills to help me navigate those foggy times that not everybody has. And that's what got me to think about writing the book, because whether you're going through a job loss, whether you're going through uh, divorce, whether any any real life change, these work. I, I work with executives in Fortune 100 organizations as an executive coach. And I can tell you, there have been times when I've walked into a room and seen an executive lying with his head on the table saying, everybody thinks I'm brilliant, but the truth is I can barely see one. I'm barely one step ahead of anybody else to know what to do in this organization right now. You know, whether you've been laid off or you're planning the layoff, you know, we struggle. Life is about one uncertainty after the next. So there is never a lack of opportunity to use these skills and concepts every single step of the way. Loved having you here with us today. So many great tips for us to use as we move forward. Tell us, where can the listeners get more information and support for dealing with uncertainty and the now what's? Well, I'd love to support you because we're in the midst of a pandemic still. <laughs> we have financial uncertainty in our world. We have social unrest. So there is no one in this world who can't benefit from some extra resources. You can visit my website. It is Brenda K, the letter K, Reynolds.com. And there you'll really find access to the book, TBD. You'll also find, and I'm leaving this behind for you as a gift, Martha, this little kit that I have made during my uncertain times called a Now What Transformation Kit. And it is full of products and content for people going through their Now What oh, moment. Wonderful. This is a deck of cards that has inspiration and information and 
all kinds of things to help people move positively through a difficult time. So I'm going to leave that behind for you. Thank you so much. And they also make great gifts for someone who's going through that. And my very favorite quote is on the inside of it. Behind every now what is a why not ready to be unleashed. And the TEDx talk is also something searchable, but you can go to my website and see a link to that as well. So hard not to find me. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Brenda. Thank you. It was a pleasure.